0: Are you, going to, are you going to include the CBC, Mr. President, in your conversations with your your urban agenda, your inner city agenda, as well as? Am I going with, to include? Who? Are you going to include the Congressional Black Caucus and the Congressional well, Hispanic Caucus? Well, I would. Caucus, I tell you what. Do you want to set well, up the, the meeting? CBC. Do you want to set up the meeting? No, no, no. I'm, are they I'm, friends I'm, of I'm yours? Just a no, get I'm, a, set up the I meeting. know some of them, but I'm sure. Let's there are go ones set up right a meeting. Next. I would love to meet with the Black Caucus. I think it's great. Hello and welcome to the first and hopefully only solo episode of Politics, a podcast about American politics featuring a, an affable Kiwi asking questions of an irascible American journalist. My name is Jeb Lund. I am the American journalist, as you might have guessed, and uh, I used to be employed full time. So if you are somebody who has uh, uh, full time jobs lying around, you're, you're more than welcome to hand them to me. Uh, in the meantime, I'm, I'm a contributor at Esquire and here and then also my other podcast, uh, This Week in Atrocity. Tim uh, is, is earning a well-deserved rest. He is, as they say, in the Anzac nations and uh, in England on the continent on holiday. And so, uh, you know, I hope that he's having a lovely time and, and you'll get to hear him ne- from him next week. In the meantime, uh, I just wanted to sum up two things that have gone on this week that you might have seen. On Monday, uh, Michael Flynn, Donald Trump's national security advisor, resigned. Now, this was over a conversation that he had with a Russian envoy in December, on the same day that uh, then President Barack Obama had uh, instituted sanctions against the uh, the Russian government. Now, those sanctions came because Russia very clearly had been monkeying around with the U.S. election, and what we can assume or surmise from people who've uh, many people in the intelligence community who have spoken about this conversation, what we, what we can assume is that. Flynn reassured uh, the Russian government that Donald Trump would roll back some of those sanctions. So to the surprise of basically everybody, the Russians didn't respond to the sanctions that the Obama administration had placed on them. And that is what sent the intelligence community back to seeing what sort of communications might have happened domestically between the United States and uh, representatives of the Russian government. Because basically not acting out was extraordinarily out of character. So. You're, you know everybody's going well what's going on so the uh the intelligence community goes and, and looks at uh, in these communications and they find this flurry of, uh, of communication between uh michael flynn and uh, uh I, I i keep hearing it pronounced correctly but i'll probably get this wrong uh, uh kiselyak the, uh, the the russian envoy Anyhow, um, this is this is basically bad for a couple of reasons. One, if you're the national security advisor, you ought to be aware that any communication you're having with a foreign power from the U.S. is going to be monitored. And the fact that Flynn, I guess, just, you know, spaced on this or thought he might get swept into office before anybody noticed or that he would just get away with it was a bad sign for his probity as a national security advisor. You know, you don't want somebody planning America's geopolitical strategy when he can't figure out that it's you know basic standard operating procedure to intercept and monitor these, these communications. The other problem for Flynn, and uh, this is something you're going to hear a lot about in the next couple of days if you haven't already heard a lot about it in the last four, is that what he did almost surely violated the Logan Act, which basically prevents non-members of the executive branch from negotiating American foreign policy. Uh, you know, we basically just, you know, they're unofficial terms for this, but basically, you know, the sitting president is in charge and it doesn't matter if you are the chief aide to the president elect or are in fact the president elect yourself, you don't get to do the job until you're sworn in. You know, so you're going to hear a lot about this. Nobody's ever been prosecuted under the Logan Act. Um, this might be the first time. This is a very, very good case evidently if you're going to take the word of the intelligence community that that has looked at this stuff so you know that tradition might be broken but what happened in the meantime and this is from a bunch of conflicting events is that uh Flynn allegedly lied to Mike Pence he when asked about uh the the character of his communications with uh, the Russians before uh inauguration day he said that he did not discuss sanctions with them So this appears to be the precipitate act that led to his firing when Trump, uh, the the official statement about Michael Flynn's quote unquote resignation is that uh, he had lost the trust of the president. The the president could no longer rely on him. And that, you know, we, we can interpret that a bunch of different ways. I mean, if you really want to be sort of a criminologist about this, the really sinister way of thinking about it is that basically you know, everybody knew what Flynn, quote unquote, told Mike Pence was bullshit. And this is just the way of getting rid of him because somebody has to take the fall for it. You know, if, you, if you're going to go ahead and break uh, you know, the U.S. law, you don't want to say, well, you know, I'm the vice president and the president were involved in it. Uh, no, it was just this one renegade general. And Mike Flynn does have the reputation of being sort of renegade. So that fits. Uh, and if you want to be very sinister, you can say that, uh, saying that he had lied directly to Mike Pence, and then Mike Pence went out and made a statement to the media saying that uh, Flynn had not conducted a discussion uh, with the Russians about sanctions. It was not, you know, the, the reaction to this is not that uh, Pence was exposed and looked silly. What, you know, if you want to be very sinister, you can interpret this as Pence was in on the no and this is a way of immunizing him, especially if you happen to be one of those Republicans who likes Republicanism, it doesn't like Donald Trump. Donald Trump might then be swept up in this investigation and Pence uh, has no idea and then he becomes the president and, uh, you know, everyone is happy. Uh, that's that's the really, you know, uh, really sinister Machiavellian view. Uh, you know, a, a more practical Machiavellian view is that uh, Pence and Trump knew all along because Donald Trump had had advisors like Paul Manafort, who, uh, was instrumental in helping to destabilize Ukrainian opposition to, uh, um, uh, Russian annexation of Crimea and uh, that there are already plenty of people in the Trump, uh, the sort of coterie of Trump advisors who already had enough, uh, uh relationship with Russia to, to go ahead and make this happen anyway. Huh, <sighs> man, that's a lot. <laughs> So uh, the implications for for the National uh, Security Council are, are interesting because Flynn, uh, you know, you, the, the hope with somebody as erratic as Donald Trump is that his national security advisor would be somebody a little bit more experienced and somebody more sober, somebody capable of managing things. That person was not Michael Flynn. Uh, Michael Flynn holds an almost apocalyptic belief in a clash of civilizations between Islam. And, you know, he might say radical Islam, but if you go from what the gentleman has said about uh, Muslims in general, he pretty much seems to consider Islam, the whole of it, to be the problem. Uh, this happens to be a view shared by uh, Steve Bannon, our wonderful white supremacist advisor to the president, who also sits on the principles community of the the National Security Council. So uh, Flynn wasn't a moderating voice. And in addition, He was evidently just a terrible manager because uh, the National Security Council, which has ballooned to hundreds of employees, didn't really know what American national security policy was. And more to the point, the obsession that the Trump administration has with leaks had begun to alienate and, and stifle the open conversation that you would want to have with all of your national security staff. Uh, evidently a lot of these guys were, uh, already encrypting their phones and minimizing communication, you know, and basically if, if you have the people who are supposed to, uh, present you with new data and alternative theories, afraid of, of what you're going to say to them and, uh, you know, uh, afraid, sorry, uh, if, if they're afraid of the reaction that they're going to give to their, they're, they're going to receive to their opinions, they're going to withhold some of that data and they're going to withhold alternate viewpoints that might be helpful. So, uh, you know, on the whole, Flynn being out is a good thing. The bad news is that it's going to be difficult to find somebody competent who wants to get into this position. Uh, so today, um, uh, a, a, an admiral whose last name is Harward, like Harvard, but with a W as opposed to a V, uh, evidently rejected the opportunity to take the uh, National Security Advisor position, referring to it as, quote unquote, a shit sandwich. Um You know, if if followers of the arts may remember that that is the review, uh, the two-word review, and the total two words of the review for uh, Spinal Tap's album, Shark Sandwich. So that's item number one. Item number two is coming up after the break. But Bibi and I have known each other a long time. It might be a bigger and better deal than people in this room even understand. That's a possibility. So let's see what we do. Doesn't sound too optimistic, but that's that's good negotiator. That's the art of the deal. I also want to thank. Okay, welcome back. And I just want to apologize if I seem to be kind of gasping a little bit on this recording. I I got a nasty uh, cold uh, at the inauguration. I got a fever for two days and it took me almost two weeks uh, before the thing dropped into my chest and I still haven't gotten all my air back. Uh, so, you know, I've been kind of running around and, you know, hitting the gym and trying to actually get my wind, but it, it's still slow coming and I'm still coughing up gunk. That's very sexy. And I'm glad that you were here to hear that. But this is just my way of explaining why, uh, you know, occasionally you're going to hear me, uh, sound like the lead singer of Muse. <gasps> anyway. Another important thing that happened today is Donald Trump decided that uh, he needed to take control of the messaging from his administration. So he conducted his own press conference and allegedly, uh, according to uh, a story out of The New York Times by Maggie Haberman and a few other people, Maggie Haberman's good, good folk. So please read her. Um, he felt that his tweets weren't being taken seriously and that he is his best representative and he could do better than Sean Spicer and Kellyanne Conway despite the fact that really what seems to be holding back Sean Spicer and Kellyanne Conway is Donald Trump's white house. Uh, you know, it, in really simple terms, those guys aren't on the same page or that gentleman and that lady are not on the same page because they're getting conflicting bits of information. It may be because Kellyanne Conway is on the outs with the white house. That's one suspicion. We don't really know yet. Uh, the, the other thing is that what's most embarrassing for them regularly. And the reason why people aren't taking them seriously is, is Donald Trump is sending them out there to lie rather preposterously. And it doesn't matter, you know, you can be Ron Ziegler, uh, you can be Tony Snow, you can be Dana Perino, uh, you can be uh, Ari Fleischer, you can be uh, Jay Carney, you can be any of these guys. It doesn't matter how talented you are. If you are sent out to lie that preposterously, that often on the same subject, after it gets debunked and debunked and debunked, you're going to lose the room. And you're going to lose the narrative. So Trump set out to uh, to own the narrative and reassert control of his own administration here, and it was spectacularly terrible. Uh, you know, it, it even if it weren't a press conference, it would have set a record for just staggering stupidity and incompetence, and and you know, you know that. That peripheral embarrassment that you feel when you watch Michael Scott walk out into the office and he's about to deliver some god awful speech and you can tell it's really important to him. But the whole idea in that episode of The Office is to just make you feel cringing shame that that just proximal empathetic dread for somebody else. That is what you should feel for the concept of language, causality, uh, the presidency, uh, really. You know, any any shred of dignity to this process uh, should have been overwhelmed uh, and and subsumed and just finally destroyed by, you know, this this embarrassing travesty. So Trump comes out and uh, he immediately began lying about uh, his electoral victory. He said, you know, I had 306 electoral votes. That's the largest since uh, Ronald Reagan. Um, That's not even remotely true. Uh, it's not even the largest for a Republican. George H.W. Bush did better than that. Uh, Obama did better than that in 2008. He did better than that in 2012. The first reply was from an uh, an NBC reporter who pushed back on that. And Trump said, well, that's just something I was told, which is not really what you, uh, you want to hear from a president. Uh, because, you know, at that point, you can just be like, look, Mr. President, one day I was driving home and uh, this car got up behind me. And it flashed its brights and uh, I kept driving and I tried to get away and it kept getting closer and closer to me and it kept flashing its brights. And then I got home and I got out of the car and I went to run for the front door because I thought, oh, no, this car is going to, you know, the person in it's going to kill me. And uh, and instead the person, you know, I trip and the person confronts me and it's like there was a killer in the backseat with a knife. I was flashing my bright my brights every time they were about to stab you. Um, you know, it's a great story and there's a reason why urban legends exist and we all discover little bits of data on the internet that feel really good and we think they must be right. Uh, and we never check. Um, and that's fine, especially if you're dealing with pop cultural ephemera or fun stories or just, you know, something you heard about a band or a famous character. This is the president of the United States who evidently is willing to just say, uh, you know, I, I, I had this sweeping electoral victory because some guy told me uh, that's that's frightening because uh, you know either you know he's that committed to lying and he's never gonna let it go and he's that petty uh, in, in his commitment or he really is that stupid. you know he really is that empty of a vessel into which anyone can pour anything. And when you think about the people who are around him, that's a very you know unsettling prospect. but uh, you know the the saga goes on. I just want to read you a couple of excerpts here. Uh, you know, for the most part, it was your standard uh, Trump presser. Uh, uh, he demonized the press repeatedly um, and, uh, you know, said that they would not re- report favorably on him and that they were grinding axes. He uh, uh, he again asserted the fake news thing when I I, I believe CNN asked him if, you know, I, it was Jim Acosta if CNN asked, are we still fake news? and uh, Trump said something like "your very fake news," which uh, led to peals of laughter from Spicer and Conway. But there are there are a couple of exchanges here, and uh, they're they're just illustrative of I think how frightening all of this stuff can be when you stop and look at the text. I'm as guilty of of as anybody of of wanting to make fun of of Trump and wanting to find the humor in it, and I do that as a, a reflexive self-protective mechanism yeah i do it also because you know it's it's just there if this guy is going to be if he's just going to be a walking fucking setup for endless punchlines, you've got to take that that opportunity but in in doing that and in in reporting in these on these things in excerpt and and also just becoming familiar after all this time after nearly two years of the, the 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 cadence of his inanity and the kind of the, the leitmotifs of inanity that he returns to. You know, we, we, we lose sight of the fact that they are prima facie frightening, just very, you know, these things should always unhouse us. And as we take refuge more in humor or in in thinking of him as a sort of pastiche, uh, we lose touch with with how immediately um, just genuinely terrifying. This stuff can be so. Anyway, um, he's asked about his relationship with uh, with Russia, and uh, here here's Trump's reply. And this was transcribed uh, very nicely. Here, let me let me attribute this properly. Uh, this was uh, uh, transcribed by somebody going by Chris uh, K R I S underscore Sacrebleu, uh, one word, uh, S A C R E B L E U uh, on Twitter. Anyhow, so here's Trump's quote. We had Hillary Hillary Clinton try and do a reset. We had Hillary Clinton give Russia 20% of the uranium in our country. You know what uranium is, right? It's this thing called nuclear weapons and other things, like lots of things are done with uranium, including some bad things. Nobody talks about that. I didn't do anything for Russia. I've done nothing for Russia. Hillary Clinton gave them 20% of our uranium. Hillary Clinton did a reset, remember, with the stupid plastic button that made us all look like a bunch of jerks? Here, take a look. He looked at her like, and here he 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 makes a face, what the hell is she doing? With that cheap plastic button, Hillary Clinton, that was a reset. Remember, it said reset? Now, if I do that, oh, I'm a bad guy. If we could get along with Russia, that's a positive thing. We have a very talented man, Rex Tillerson, who's going to be meeting with them shortly. And I told him, I said I know politically, it's probably not good for me. Hey, the greatest thing I could do is shoot that ship that's 30 miles offshore right out of the water. Everyone in this country is going to go, oh, it's so great. That's not great. That's not great. I would love to be able to get along with Russia. So, I mean, this is farcically funny. I mean, just looking at the text, it's farcically funny. And it ends with him going, yeah, you know, I could just essentially strike a a Russian target off American shores and precipitate anything. And that'll be the greatest thing I could do. Everyone in this country is going to go, oh, it's so great. So there's another excerpt that I wanted to read to you guys uh, that is generally sort of unpleasant and it's of a piece with some other things that have been going on with the administration. So this is, this is from the Hill. This is the text uh, from the Hill. President Trump got into a heated exchange Thursday with a Jewish reporter who asked what the president would do to combat the rising number of anti-Semitic incidents. And if you're not in the United States, Jewish community centers have been targeted with bomb threats repeatedly. There's been about three different waves of these. There was immediately after the election. And then uh, really in the last two weeks, it spiked up again and there was a, uh, The second one, I'm not really sure when it was. But there's been a general uh, rising of of threats and uh, uh, attacks on uh, both Semitic peoples in the United States, both Jews and Muslims. So anyway, uh, Trump's conducting this press conference, and he he goes on uh, a little rant about how everybody is treating him so very, very poorly. The media hates him. So he was going to call on a friendly reporter. So he called on Jake Turks of Ami magazine, which is a a Jewish publication. And uh, Jake had this question. He said, what we are concerned about and what we haven't really heard you address is the uptick in anti-Semitism and how you tend to take care of it. And then he went on to to cite some stats about what I was just telling you about. So uh, basically, like Trump starts to answer and uh, uh, Jake Turks uh, starts to reply and Trump says, quiet, quiet, quiet. And Trump says, see, he lied that he'd get up and ask a very simple question. So, you know, welcome to the world of the media. Let me tell you something. I hate that charge. I find it repulsive because people that know me, and you heard Prime Minister Netanyahu yesterday, did you hear him? BB. I've known Donald Trump for a long time. And he said, forget it. So you should take that before you get up and ask a very insulting question like that. So a, a second reporter then gets up and, and mentions that, quite accurately that Jake Turk's question is not about Donald Trump at all. And that he was just asking, what are you going to do to combat? You know, I'm a Jewish, I'm a Jewish writer here in America and Jewish people in America are being threatened. What are you going to do about it? Trump, you know, and insults him. And he goes on at one point to say, like, I am the least anti-Semitic person in the world, which I mean, I don't know how you really quantify that. But I would figure that uh, a guy who, who hired Steve Bannon probably doesn't count as number one on that list um the reason why i bring all this up i mean you know it is like genuinely horrifying is that uh when i i put the quote and that's not the whole exchange if you can find it on youtube i I highly recommend it because it is just sort of stunning to see him get asked a question that no way targets him and in fact that's a really it's a gimme it's an opportunity now this is a white house that released a statement on holocaust remembrance day that didn't specifically mentioned the Jews in relation to the Holocaust. And they they went ahead and basically did an all lives matter thing. And I don't really buy that um, for a really basic reason that the other people, the other 6 million people or 5, depending on how you want to, you know, depending on what figures you're seeing that were killed were, uh, you know, Romani, um, homosexuals, um, you know, and, and basically other minority groups that were being targeted um, and that the people in, in this very conservative White House, I don't think, have a lot of intrinsic sympathy for. So the erasure of Jews from Holocaust Remembrance Day, I don't think, was done because all lives matter. Because if you look at their attitude toward homosexuals, communists, um, you know, other sort of, you know, they we don't need to get bogged down into discussing the Romani, but you know, here are, uh, here's a, a group of people that wander over borders and don't have a nice fixed nationalistic presence in the way that somebody like Steve Bannon might prefer them to. I, I just don't buy that, that these people were the ones who are supposed to be rehabilitated by not focusing on the Jews. So, you know, you've got this climate where this white house already has this mark against it. And all Trump has to do is just take this softball and say, yeah, this concerns me too. This is a, you know, this is a very serious, uh, you know, issue. And we will not tolerate violence toward, uh, you know, uh, Jewish Americans, you know, they're citizens as much as we are, and we are going to use the strength of the justice department to root out these people targeting them. No, instead he takes it personally. He acts as if he's been, you know, slighted, uh, as, as an anti-Semite. And, you know, I, uh, the the only thing that really comes to mind in in reaction to that is um, you know the 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 old line that narcissists never uh, self describe so well as when uh, they object and when they accuse right you know the the, the I am absolutely not that you are that uh, you know impulse generally responds to inaccurate painting of of where your attitudes lie uh, if you remember, may remember during the campaign uh, that we had reports that Donald Trump uh, praised. Uh, uh, Jewish accountants and insisted that they be hired, but he didn't refer to them as, as Jewish. He referred to them as as those guys with the uh, you know the little hats. He meant yarmulkes, but basically said, "Go get me Jews because they're good with money." Um, you know, other issues uh, that that also lead you to suspect the the credibility and that the the uh, the POTUS doth protest too much is the fact that uh, the the Justice Department. Has indicated uh, that they, or sorry, not the Justice Department, the, the Trump administration has said that what that what they would like to do is focus more on, uh, you know, radical Islamic terror. So that what they're trying to do is coordinate DOJ and domestic intelligence to focus on that. And in in when they're talking about combating terror, they don't fold in uh, terror from white nationalists, white separatists, and white supremacists. Which, if you'll recall, the very beginning of the Obama administration. Uh, the Obama DOJ released, um, I think it was the DOJ released, yeah, yeah, it was uh, released a study basically saying like, you know, the number one incidents of of, of domestic terror all come from white people. Uh, and if you remember back in the early days of the Obama administration, we had such fun things as that guy in Maine who was uh, constructing a dirty bomb in his own garage. Uh, then you have the rise of, of basically, you know, the what we now consider anti-Obama sentiment. That wasn't created by Obama. That was a festering, uh, you know, festering aggression against a multicultural uh, federal government. And, you know, if you, you may remember, um, you know, a rather big indicator that this preceded Obama and that uh, it, this attitude has uh, strong antecedents would be uh, look at. You know, look at the career of Timothy McVeigh, uh, the man who who uh, destroyed the Murrah bombing in Oklahoma. Uh, uh, sorry, Murrah Building in uh, Oklahoma City. So I mean, this stuff was extant, uh, and this DOJ does not seem particularly interested in it. Um, it, it now, I mean, that obviously, like, there, there are some good bipartisan, uh, uh, you know comedy with that, uh, you know, a good example there might be, I think it was in 2010, a, uh, a white Texan flew a plane into the IRS building. And uh, you may remember that Newsweek had a roundtable about what should we call these sorts of people? And they, they said, oh, you know, separatists, um, uh, uh, what's the term, um, uh, militia types, everything but the word terrorist despite the fact that if you think about the major terrorist attacks in the U.S., or at least the most recent major terror attack in the U.S., it was somebody flying a plane into a fucking building. So, you know, there is a sort of a a bipartisan and and sort of educated Washington Mandarin kind of consensus that we don't focus on these people and uh, we don't consider them a problem. We don't use the word terrorist. Dylan Roof, no matter how obviously he tried to inspire terror, we call him a, a white nationalist or a troubled young man, as opposed to somebody who's deliberately using violence to advance a political meme, uh, sorry, a political aim uh, through terror. So anyhow, you've, you've got this sort of extant attitude and Trump just starts lambasting this guy saying, I'm not that, I'm not that, I'm not that. And, uh, you know, if, if if his unwillingness to to engage in a gimme Just an absolute lovely softball of a question where he can put to bed accusations made against him or suspicions that people have about him with a nice gesture toward the Jewish American community. If he can't do that, um, there are a lot of basic functions of being a president that are clearly out of his reach uh, mentally and temperamentally. So that's the good news. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and uh, I'm, I'm going to get you out of here just as soon as I can uh, play some silly music. But if you go, as an example, you're CNN. I mean, it's story after story after story is bad. I won. I won. And the other thing, chaos. There's zero chaos. We are running. This is a fine-tuned machine.